good evening and welcome back to Dudamus Maximus Helps. Um, this on this episode we're changing it up a little bit instead of giving a bunch of caretaker information and telling the stories that I've gone through the last 19 years with Terry uh, 16 years was the worst of it I'm gonna try and just kind of analyze people a little bit and some of the things that I personally have went through her dad and I still have a great conversation when we talk on the phone and he brought it to my attention that uh, to my attention that she's the one that died I was not the one that died so for all you caretakers out there just be strong be strong and pay attention to the person you're caretaking for you know take notes whatever it takes for you to do but be in touch with them um, when I took care of Terry she dwindled until ultimately she took her last breath like I've explained in the last episodes and now it's time for me to get beyond with my life so these are some of the lessons that I've learned along the way uh, I have a brother of mine his name is mr. John Tuaji who has his own urban podcast at John Tumay productions urban podcast and I go over there and brought and podcast with him sometimes as well because he his is very interesting and we get to chop it up a little bit and I kind of enjoy that it's a refreshing a change from sitting around here by myself it's not as easy as most people think being alone some people would say oh I can't wait till that other person's gone or I can't wait till this happens so I can be alone well it's not as easy as you think um, it makes you in tune with your inner self and it makes you aware of some of the things you should do and some of the good you should put out towards people you should always put out good towards other people and not be like a self-centered or self um, inward person who looks only at themselves uh, some of the examples that I gave on his website was when I went to Walmart one night and I was gonna buy a new crock pot which I did and on my way back from Walmart I live in a little town that's west of the city that I work in there's only a couple of intersections well one of the main intersections is the intersection coming back from Walmart which is up by the interstate back into town and there's a long line of traffic after I bought my new crock pot so apparently the, the right lane was blocked at right towards the intersection so I got into the left lane and traffic was backed up for almost a mile I got up there and up there and I'm like wondering what the deal is when I got up to the intersection I had to go in the left lane and then to make a right turn there was a lady that was stuck in her car and I was like well that's an unusual place to be stuck um, I maybe she might need some help as I drove by and saw the look on her face it was a young lady a teenager in the little town I live in they kind of frown on teenagers especially in this situation where they're backing up traffic so I knew that the police coming was going to be imminent and I didn't know if she wanted that or not all I knew is I looked over and saw the look on her face and I realized this young lady needs help at the intersection she was stuck at just to the right of her and right on the corner is a little convenience store so I made my right turn I wasn't in any hurry for the evening I pulled down into the convenience store parking lot and walked up the little grassy hill and walked over to the young lady and said ma'am do you need some help are you okay and she looked at me real panicked like she didn't know what to do and she could I could tell by the look on her face she couldn't believe I stopped and she said my car won't start and now I've tried so many times the battery won't turn over and I said well ma'am I can help you in this situation but I can't help you with your battery right now because I don't have any of my tools with me I said but what I can do is stand behind your car and give you a shove she was about I don't know 12 or 15 feet from the intersection it may have it may have been 10 feet all I know is it was a short distance it was kind of an uphill grade but a very shallow uphill grade when she made that right turn it's downhill and 
to the entrance to the convenience store where she could pull in and you know then she was on the phone with somebody so whoever was she was on the phone with could come and help her at least she wouldn't be blocking traffic which brings the cops almost every time which I have nothing against police shout out to police officers I just know that in this little town in this situation the police would have looked into her and I don't know what would have happened but I told her I said ma'am I'm gonna get behind your car so just turn the key on I know it doesn't have power but put turn the key on put it in neutral and I'm gonna shove you that you know 10 to 12 to 15 feet down the, up the intersection until you can make that right turn and when you get down there make that right turn you're gonna have to pull the wheel real hard but pull into that parking lot and there's three parking spots there so just pull up into one of those parking spots and that way you won't be blocking traffic and she said okay sir so I said go ahead turn the key on and put it in neutral and I was holding the car and I got behind it I started pushing with all my might it was a mercury mountaineer uh, like an older model so it was kind of a bigger mercury mountaineer and that thing was heavy but i put my back into it and the whole time i looked behind me there's like uh, seriously a mile of traffic and everybody while i'm shoving this thing i'm doing my best and i'm making it i'm almost to the intersection people are cutting from the right lane into the left and like almost hitting me while i'm pushing her car and it's obvious what I'm doing. It was it was getting dark. They had their headlights on. You could see me plain as day. She had a silver car, and I had a, a black shirt on with reflective tape on the back of it. So I get up to the intersection. I tell her, go ahead and turn now. Go ahead and turn. Well, first of all, she starts to jump out of her car, and I said, no, ma'am, get back in there. What you need to do is make sure that when I get to that corner, you can turn that car. So she jumps back in real quick, and I also noticed she was a small frame person. She makes that corner. She goes down the little hill and turns up into the uh, little convenience store there. And on her way in, a car tried to jam out real quick. And it got her to stop right before she got all the way up in the intersection. So now she's kind of blocking the little convenience store exit. Well, apparently somebody did see what I did. And they, they pulled into the parking lot too. And a heavier set gentleman got out to help me. He was a younger guy. And I, I said, thank you very much for the help. All we got to do is just get her pushed up into this parking spot. She's good to go. So he and I both put our back into it, and it's kind of an uphill shove here, too. So we push her right up into the intersection. I tell her, put it in park. So she throws it in park real quick. She got her window down. I walk up to her. I said, ma'am, are you okay now? And she said, yes, sir. And she thanked me and the other gentleman, but she told me, thank you very much, because I would still be stuck up there if it wasn't for you. I said, no problem. I said, is somebody coming to help you? She said, yes, yes, help is on the way for me. So I said, okay. So I walk around the front of her car and I walk all the way across the parking lot where I had parked and I get in my truck and I'm getting ready to leave. And as I'm getting in my truck, she comes running up to me and she says, sir, sir, sir. I say, yes, ma'am. And she said, um, my help can't come right now. It's going to be like an hour or so. I went ahead and locked my vehicle up. Would you mind giving me a ride down to my little house? And th this is a little tiny frame woman. I'm, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy at six foot tall. And this girl couldn't been more than, I don't know, five, three, five, two, and you know, barely a hundred pounds dripping wet. So I say, yes, ma'am, I will gladly give you a ride to your house. She said she needed to go down to the street named Ross. Or, I mean, Watts. And I say, yes, I'll give you a ride down to Watts. It's like five blocks further than what I was going. And it's also another back way to cut over to the neighborhood that I live in. So I pull, I pull down there and I, I drop her off in front of her house and she thanks me again. And I said, ma'am, this is what anybody should have done. I said, you're somebody's daughter. You know, you're, you're somebody's relative. Some more people should have helped you. I couldn't believe the whole time I'm pushing her car. These people are zipping from the right lane into the left. And I mean, missing me by a foot or less. Well, I say a foot or less. That's what it felt like to me. It was probably a couple of feet, but it sure felt like they were breathing down my neck. 
but I couldn't help it. I had to help her because as an American, that's what I do. I get out there and help people. I can't help everybody. Uh, I, you know, I do the best I can with what I got, but luckily I'm, I'm very strong. So I was able to help her out of her situation. And as she got out of the car and shook my hand, she said, thank you, sir, very much. You have a blessed day. And I told her, I already did have a blessed day. I was able to help you. So the rest of the way home, I was having a good feeling about myself. I said, yeah, that's that's what should have been done. Here I am. I drive by. I see the frantic look on her face. Here is somebody's daughter. Here is somebody's relative. Here is the, somebody's future mother, somebody's future mom. And all she needs is a push 10, 12, 15 feet to the intersection where she can make a right turn and quit blocking traffic up. And these people that are behind me, instead of jumping out and helping or pulling around the corner and getting out and help to clear the intersection faster, they are like steadily on their way, speeding off and looking at her and honking at her and stuff. And I'm like, dude, I am back here pushing her car. I'm trying to get her out of the way. So from that lesson, I learned that some people need a little more help than others. Some people need a little more, um, a little more oomph where you have to put your back into it. Other people don't need all that. But anybody who is in, as an American, I'm like, here's a fellow American who genuinely needs a hand. I've got to get out and help. So that's exactly what I did. So that was a couple of months ago and I haven't seen her since, but I did drive by the next day and make sure that her car uh, wasn't at the convenience store anymore and I was went to Walmart again and on my way home I happened to go down Watts again and drive by her house and notice that her car on her driveway so that made me feel good that somebody actually for whoever she was talking on the phone to came and helped her those are the types of lessons that are important in life um, when my wife was alive her kids took advantage all the time. That's why I did the episode on Worthless Turds. They knew I would help people. They knew I would go out of my way to make sure that somebody was okay. And they, they constantly took advantage of that. I would be at work and I would come home and try and use the credit card and the, there wouldn't be money in the account. And I would ask my wife where the money went. And she was very confused. The cancer had already gotten to her brain and stuff and it was hard for her to understand and stuff. And I found out later that they were getting gas money and stuff from her. Here, here are two adults in their 30s taking advantage of their mother who is actually dying right before their eyes and they're trying to get money out of her. To, to me, that's the definition of a worthless term. Those are the type of lessons that you don't want to learn. How to help yourself is not the lessons you want to learn. The type of lessons that you want to learn are the type that, you know, will genuinely help somebody. Um, another story that I told um, John Tuajis, my brother's podcast, is that uh, I came out of the same Walmart and this was like uh, probably three, four weeks later on a weekend. There was a, a middle-aged woman with her daughter sitting out there and they had a sign up there and they said they're selling tamales and asked me if I'd like to buy some tamales and I said, well, I don't need a whole bunch of tamales, but I would I would gladly help you out. How much is a dozen tamales? And she said $16. And I was like, oh man, what are these tamales made of gold? All the rest of the tamales around here go for eight or $10 a dozen. The, the really good ones go for 12. And she explained to me, she said she was new in town. She was staying with her sister. Her She got her daughter enrolled in school, but had a time limit where she had to get her own, her own address. So she was working a job, but on the side, She's selling these tamales to help raise money so she could get her own place. I was looking her in the eye the whole time she was telling the story because I can tell when people are lying to me. This lady wasn't lying. She was telling the truth. She genuinely needed a hand. Once again, I, I had probably, uh, 
I don't know, 26, 27 bucks in my wallet. So I reached in and got $16 and said, I'll take a dozen of the chicken ones. And she said, these are the best tamales you're ever going to eat. And they were still warm. She got into a cooler. They were still warm like she had just made them. So I was happy. I said, okay, I paid a little bit too much for these tamales, but it helps somebody. And that's the most important thing in life you can do. I go walk all the way across Walmart because I always park at the furthest spot out because my legs are still good. And I know there's other people who don't have the same leg ability that I have right now. That's another lesson I've learned in life. Let people who are less fortunate park closer, if they're, especially if they're having mobility problems. So nonetheless, I walk all the way across the parking lot. I get in my pickup truck. I turn around and head for the exit. And that's maybe 40 feet from where I parked. And that, there's a four-way stop sign at that. <laughs> Caddy corner from the four-way stop sign is an older man with oxygen on playing his guitar and he looked happy and I was like I Terry had to wear oxygen for a long time my wife did and I know you're not supposed to be outside playing your guitar at an intersection right next to Walmart at the exit playing your guitar but he didn't have a sign or anything so I parked my truck once again and I got out and I walked over to him and I said, sir, are you okay? I said, you're on oxygen, you're outside here. And it was a bottle, not like one of the little portable respirators and stuff. And he told me, he said, sir, uh, my RV broke down and I had to spend all my money to get it fixed. So I'm taking donations so I can make it back home. And I think he lived like 120 miles further than me. So. I said, well, sir, I, you know, all I've got is like 10 or $11 in my wallet. So I took my wallet out and I gave him, I said, well, how come you don't have a sign? And he said, I didn't have the materials to make a sign. I said, sir, I'm in the printing industry, so let me go ahead and help you. I had some paper that I was going to use for drawing and I always carry a marker with me. I went back to my truck and I made him a sign. He said he was a veteran. So I said, veteran trying to get home, you need to raise money for gas to, you know, make it to the town that's 120 miles from me. And I came back over and it was a fairly big sign. It was on uh, cardstock, so it was fairly rigid. And I, uh, he was sitting in a chair that was out of his RV. So I went and found a rock in the little field next to him and I put the sign down and propped it up next to him. There was no wind blowing, so we were lucky that day. And now people know what he is doing. There's another lesson I learned a long time ago. If you see somebody that needs help in that capacity of way and you see they're on oxygen, that's somebody who genuinely needs help. You should stop and help them. And then when I walked over and said, you know, what are you trying to do? And he told me he's a veteran, he's trying to raise money. And I asked him about a sign he didn't have one. I say, what? that's in my wheelhouse. I can do that. I have the materials right here in my pickup truck. So after I made him the sign, I looked at him, I said, sir, when was the last time you ate? And he said, well, I hadn't eaten anything all day. And I know darn good and well, if you're on oxygen, you're probably taking some sort of medicines. And I, and, uh, I said, well, do you like tamales? And he said, Yes, sir, I do. I haven't had any good tamales for a while. So I walked back to the truck. The $16 worth of tamales that I just I hadn't even touched them. They were still tied up in a bag, still warm. I went and got them and I brought them back to him. And I said, I just got these chicken tamales. And the lady right over here at the front of Walmart told me they were the best ones. And he really steadily got up and he received the tamales. And then he reached out and shook my hand. And he said, thank you, sir. And he said, you don't have to do that. And I said, sir, not only am I a gentleman, but I'm an American. I do things to help people as an American. When I see another American genuinely needs help, I'm going to get out there and help them. I am not going to stand back and wait for somebody else to come along. Even if it, you know, if physically is a toll on me, I'm still going to give it my all and make sure that those people get the help they need. Those are important lessons to learn. Um, this 
God has blessed me with certain talents and sign making is one of them and being generous. You know, I, I can't be generous to everybody. And I know when somebody's lying to me, but twice in a 30 minute period, I saw two stories that were being told to me that were genuine stories of people that needed help. I've, I've got out and seen people that like had their kids with them and then seen that they were in a Cadillac, you know, and they were just trying to raise money for beer or something stupid like that. And I went over and talked to them and I could tell they weren't genuine and had to tell them, sorry, I don't have any money. And I know at the end of the day, they're getting in their Cadillac and driving back to their house and having a nice meal and stuff. This gentleman was living in his RV because he had didn't have the money to, or he, he used all of his money to get it fixed. And I could tell he was sincere. And he was like, well, let me play you a song. And I said, I'll listen to it for a minute, but I really have to go now, sir. But thank you, you know, for letting me help you. And he told me, no, thank you. So those, those are the kind of good lessons that you want to learn. Kind of bad lessons that you don't want, the ones that you don't want to learn is when you've been to a bar and you've had too much to drink and you're having a great time. Say you're watching a football game and you're having a great time and then it turns out when they start winning, you drink a little bit too much. And then somebody comes up to you and says, you know, it's time, are you ready to go home? And they said, well, yeah. And they, they get up and get with their keys after they're already drunk and try and get out and stumble to their car. And you say, no, you know, I've been somebody's designated driver all night. Let me give you a ride home. And then the person refuses it gets in their car, drives around the corner, and a police officer pulls them over. Once again, shout out to police officers. And they end up getting a DUI. Here you are, a real American, trying to help somebody who genuinely needs help because they've had too much to drink. And you know they're going to be swerving all over the road, attracting that kind of attention. You offer to give them a ride home, and they don't have the... Uh, how can I say this? They don't have the mind, the conceptual mind power at that time to think and say, yes, that's a great idea. And even if you try and convince them, they still don't have the, uh, they still refuse your help and get a DUI anyway. The price of a cab back to a bar to get your car is way less than the price of a DUI. I've never had a DUI, but I'm sure the cost is like up there in the 10,000 to 20,000 range nowadays. So, if you see somebody that needs help in that way, help them out or try and, you know, get them something to eat so that there's not so much alcohol in their blood. But the best thing you can do is just offer them a ride home, man, especially if you're going home anyway. So those are the kind of lessons that you don't want to learn. Recently, it was New Year's Eve and I went out on New Year's Eve with a friend of mine who brought it to my attention about the cost of a DUI, that it's much cheaper. We went downtown got a hotel room he got his own hotel room i got my own they park the cars in a gated area and keep your keys it's valet parking until you're ready to go and you go ask them and then the city that i went was in and having a good time on new year's eve has buses and trolleys that pass through there all the time they it's they they go until two in the morning so we where we went and parted was right around the corner there were several spots and then we went to the opening night on downtown and uh, there was a basketball game that was going on and it let out and then we ended up going to a couple different places and we played some pool we played some darts uh, we got to uh, be around other people that were revelers um, it's fun to do that kind of stuff because even when terry was alive i used to spend so many new year's eve nights alone in my backyard doing the midnight barbecue, but it made me happy. But once Terry was gone and I realized that, hey, I might want to be around some other revelers too. And then my friend, my brother, John Tuaji, 
brings this idea to mind and I'm like, you know what, what you just said makes sense. So it's much easier to go ahead and be responsible in those kind of ways. Those are the kind of lessons you want to learn. And if you stop and think about it, it makes sense. If you want to go out and have that kind of fun, you know, and go say bar hopping or go to a couple of bars and play pool or whatnot and have some, some drinks and stuff, as long as you're not getting crazy stupid, the police won't mess with you at all because there's such a big crowd of people they're looking at for the people that are getting crazy stupid. So don't be afraid to get out and get around other revelers like that because it's actually a good idea. It's sure the heck beats loneliness. I was, uh, this Christmas was one that I didn't really want to be around people and I really wasn't into it and stuff. But after Christmas passed, I was like, man, I'm going to do that hotel thing again where I go downtown and just have a good time. And that's exactly what I did. I got back to my room. I saw the ball drop and saw the fireworks go off. Um, had a good time with my brother, my friend. And then I got back to my hotel room. I was safe, sound, nobody got hurt. Nobody was the wiser. I got up the next day. I had the continental breakfast. Um, while I was out partying, I had eaten dinner before I got to the motel. I, it, was, it was like a late lunch. I got there, you know, got cleaned up and stuff. A couple hours had passed. And then I went down and had dinner again. So I made sure there was food on my stomach. And then I counted to make sure that I didn't have, let's say, too much to drink or I had to stumble around and, and be responsible. So I just I just went out and had a great time. Those are the kind of lessons you want to learn right there. How to have fun without harming other people, without interfering with other people, and without getting the police involved. Um, there's, there's so many lessons in life that we can learn from that a lot of people just don't. Um, it's like touching a hot pan on the stove. When, when you're a kid and your mom says, you know, don't reach up there and touch that pan. That's hot. You're going to burn your fingers. And you think about it for a second. And as soon as she leaves the room, you walk back over there and touch that pan to see if it's hot. Your mom just gave you a valuable lesson to learn from. Do not touch the pan. You're going to burn your fingers. It's hot. Now you've burned your fingers and you have to tell your mom, I just burned my fingers. What should we do? I touched the pan. It was hot. It, it makes you look less intelligent, especially if somebody is, you know, putting those lessons forward that you can learn from. Learning from lessons is one of the smartest things you can do in life. Sometimes it's better just to sit back and listen to people talk because you can hear the lessons that were shared in their direction that they didn't follow. And some people think it's funny and it's, it's not funny at all. Why would you want to intentionally, you know, harm yourself when your mom said the pan is hot and touch the pan anyway? When I was a kid, I learned from things like that because I had two half brothers and they were the type of people to do that. I was the type of person that when I was 11 years old, I went out and got my first job because my stepdad said, you will never drive one of my damn cars in your life as long as you're able to breathe. You need to get out there and work. When it's time for you to learn to drive, you're going to get your own car and learn to drive. He drilled that in my head. I can't tell you how many times he didn't just say it. He yelled it at us like, it was some sort of a threat. He was holding it over our head like I was never going to get my own car. So I started working when I was 11. I had a couple of jobs that I worked part time, you know, and through the jobs, I was able to earn money. By the time I was 14, I bought my first car. I brought it home from school and it was a car. It was a, a Volkswagen bus 
and the motor needed to be rebuilt in it. So I had a, a teacher at school that I went to school and told him about this Volkswagen. But well, hang on, let's go back to the beginning of the story. I bring the bus home and back it into the driveway. We have a little side drive in the house I lived in. My stepdad came home from work and he was furious. We couldn't have friends over at our house. He was that kind of crazy. He comes storming in the house and he says, he yells for me. And I say, yeah, I'm here. And he says, uh, Dudamus Maximus, who's here? I know you're hiding somebody in this house. Who's here? And I said, well, what makes you think I'm hiding somebody in this house? He said, I see that Volkswagen bus outside there. I know somebody is here. I look at him and I start laughing. He's like, what are you laughing at? And I said, all those years you yelled at me, I learned from the lessons. They, they were mean lessons, but I learned from them nonetheless. I told him. I bought that Volkswagen bus because I'm 14 now. In a couple years, I'll be old enough to drive. I said, the Volkswagen engine needs to be rebuilt. I'm going to take it to the little shed out back, and I'm going to rebuild that thing. And he just kind of looked at me shocked. I'll never forget that shocked look on his face. And he, he said, we're going to talk about this. And I said, there's nothing to talk about. I got the title and everything. And, and back in those days, this was, uh, I think, 1978 or 79. You couldn't get a title put in your name. If you were a kid, you had to have your parents' signature. Even when you were 16, you had to be 18 to have a car in your name. Well, my friend's mom worked at the tag agency and went ahead and notarized it. So I had it in my name. There was nothing he could do. They couldn't take it away from me. And later that night after my mom got home, she looked at him and said, he's right. Dudamus Maximus is right. You yelled at him all those years and said he would never drive one of your cars. So now here he has a bus that's legally in his name that needs the engine rebuilt. The least we can do is let him put the engine in the garage and rebuild it. One of the other things I went out and did is I bought a Volkswagen book and it was called um, How to Rebuild Volkswagen for Dummies because I had never worked on a Volkswagen engine before. But I read the crap out of that book before I even started. I read it all the way through because I knew that was the thing to do. Luckily, when I was in school, I was a very studious person. But nonetheless, uh, during the process of the next week, I was you know, telling my distributive education teacher, Mr. Elston, about it. And what I really wanted was a Volkswagen Baja bug that all I could afford was the bus. It was a $200 bus. He had a friend that was a potter. And his, his friend that was a potter had a Volkswagen Baja bug. It was kind of shabby looking, but man, that was my first car besides the bus. I traded him straight across the bus because his had a clear title on the car and had hit put in my name and then signed the title over to him. He was pleased as punch to have that bus. He, uh, he I can tell you how many times he thanked me. And I was pleased as punch. I was thanking him just as well because I wanted that Volkswagen Baja bug. I brought it home and over the course of the next two years, I rebuilt that engine. I used to call my stepdad Slim. That wasn't his name, but I called him that. He used to keep the garage locked where I couldn't rebuild the engine. So I would go and take the locks off the door in the garage and I would go out there and work on it a little bit of time. I even took it apart and painted it. And ultimately, I think he knew what I was doing, but he didn't know how to stop me and couldn't prove it. So I was very you know, careful with taking the screws out of the lock and the deadbolt and also off the handle and able to get the door open. So I would work on that thing. And eventually he, he bragged about how we got it fixed together. And I just looked at him and I'm like, I couldn't say we, you know, I couldn't look at him and rebuke him and say, I built the damn thing, not you. It was me who built that thing. But nonetheless, it was the car that when I turned 16, I was already working two jobs. I worked in a restaurant and a grocery store. I had my own insurance and stuff. I was right on the verge of graduating from high school. I ended up leaving the house, getting into an apartment with two older guys who let me be 
in the third bedroom for paying, you know, X amount of rent. And I graduated from high school on my own and I had a car and there was nothing they could do to stop me. They came after I left. Uh, they came looking for me after about nine months, but I, at that point, I was already on the point of graduating from high school. Mr. Elston was my distributive education teacher, but he was also an advocate for me. So anytime I had to go to the office and do anything, he always got involved and intervened and smoothed things over for me. So it was a smooth transition for me to, to be able to get out of high school. And I graduated as a junior and I was proud of myself. And the rest of my life, I've gone on in life and looked back at some of the lessons I've learned I try to pass them on to other people. The more positive you can be in this world and the more you can teach other people, and especially now that I'm a throwback. I, I'm a throwback who will teach younger people if they're willing to learn. I believe that we as throwbacks should be able to do that for them. If we can do that for them, what if we all did that for them, look how much better place this world would be. Because a lot of people's parents don't work with them and they treat me like Slim treated me when I was a kid, just like a stepchild. And he, I, for some reason, he did not like me and I never could figure out why because I played sports and did all that. But I knew when it was time to leave the house, it was time to leave the house. I was ready. And that was a, that was bad for me to do, you know, because I always said, when I get out on my own, now I look at young folks and say, hey, respect where you're at now. Because when you get out on your own, man, the world's going to take advantage of you and it's going to be a tough place, tougher place to live in than you initially thought. So anyway, I think I'm going to go ahead and end the episode on those stories, but learn from your lessons in life. And don't be stubborn. If somebody's trying to teach you something and it sounds like it's making sense, listen to it. If it doesn't sound like it's making sense, hey, it's, it's not nothing you want to be around. But if it sounds like it's making sense, please listen to it. Listen to throwbacks. If they are offering you valid advice, take that advice, apply it to your life. It may help you help somebody else one day. Be an American. Just do that because you can. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and end the episode on that note. Please have a nice evening. Be nice to other people. Learn your lessons. You take care, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a great evening.